Obviously, it is October. We've started a new sermon series. It is called Stranger Stories, the Bazaar of the Bible. If you have seen the show Stranger Things, raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. If you have not seen it, raise your hand. You're not exactly sure what is going on. That's okay. You can put your hand down. We're going to do our best to get you uh, caught up. Uh, Stranger Things is this worldwide phenomenon. It is a show that comes on Netflix. It's got two seasons out. Um, And it's about strange things. We just borrowed their font and their music, and we have a series out of it, looking at the strange things or the strange stories in the Bible. Um, So for the next four weeks, that's what we're going to do. We are going to take stories out of the Bible that are just weird, that do not seem to make a lot of sense, and we're going to look at what they meant in their time, but also how those, those those truths are timeless, how we apply them to our lives now. Um, we will not do it the last Wednesday of October because the last Wednesday of October, we will be having fall fest. So we will be outside running around having the time of our lives. And the good thing is you already have 80s clothes. There's your outfit for the fall fest. It's going to be amazing. Um, but for real, if we did not have a shirt for you, I need you to come tell me during breakout group so I can be sure to get you a shirt because I do not want you to not have a shirt. I would feel terrible about that. Hey, and I'm also sorry we didn't do meet and greet. We didn't have the time for it. But high fives to everybody. Well, like four of you, I gave one. But anyway, if you've got a Bible, you're going to open it up to Joshua. Joshua's the sixth book in the Bible, not even in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Um, we'll actually be spend most of our time in the... Uh, we don't have to have that yet, sir. We'll spend most of our time in the sixth chapter, but we'll go back into chapter five or just a moment at the end. Um, we're going to talk about the, sto- the story of the battle of Jericho, or the walls of Jericho. Raise your hand if you've ever heard it. Obviously, there's a very popular song that I have never heard, but Pastor Robbie sang it to me all week about the battle of Jericho. Um, I was encouraged to play it for you guys. I decided that I wanted you to come back here, so I did not play it for you. Because I listened to it at my desk and threw up. And I didn't want you to come back. I mean, I did want you to come back, so, so, so I didn't play it. So know that I love you because I spared you from that video. There was even a, a VeggieTales rendition of it. Well, I would like you to eat your vegetables, and that would make you sick of vegetables, so we didn't watch it either. But anyway, um, it's the Battle of Jericho. It's semi-popular. It involves a wall, some people walking around in a circle. Um, see, we kind of, we hear about the Battle of Jericho. We're like, oh, yeah, the story we heard about in church that one time when I was at VBS, you know. Um, but see, the thing is, that story is weird, because if you read over it as like an adult or a semi-adult, it is messed up, because... Uh, there, there's, there's, there's ram horns that people are walking around with. Where did they get the ram horns? How did they know that if you blow in the end of the ram horn, it's going to make a sound? Why does some people believe that sound to be music? Um, why are they walking around a city? There's no air conditioner when you walk, and they're walking around a city. Why are they in the line that they're in? Why in the middle of the story do they keep talking about a lady who has a profession that's not the best profession, but they keep calling her a prostitute? Why does she keep popping up in this story? Um, Why is everybody dead that was in the city? 
Um, there's some weird stuff happening. Why did everybody yell and the walls fell down? I'm afraid to go to football games now. Because if people start yelling and the stadium starts falling, I'm allergic to death. I don't want that to happen. Just like I am to prison. I'm allergic to prison. I can't go. I'll break out. All right, you should be there by now. You should be there by now. We are going to read all 27-ish verses in chapter 6. So I want you to hold on. Remember, if you've got a book with pages, you get front row seats in heaven. If you got it on your electronic device, you're sitting like in the middle section. If you don't have anything, we got you on the screens. So you're still there, okay? Just kidding, that is not how you get to heaven at all. But if you pay attention, we're going to talk about how you do. All right, chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. Why was Jericho shut up inside and outside? Because of the people of Israel. That is the easiest question we will have tonight. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua's very important. We'll talk about why Joshua's important in a minute. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. There they are before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. I hope somebody was writing this down. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets were the ram horns, by the way. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, holla, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed, armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns <clears throat> before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking around the ark, walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Uh, I, okay, what is happening? I'm going to break that down for you. Um, Joshua, <clears throat> remember, we are stopping. We read verse 11. Joshua is the leader of the nation of Israel right now. Moses was the dude for a long time. Moses has went on in. By that, he has died. Okay, he went on in. We'll talk about his death later. What you need to, do, need to know, he was very important, but now he's still important, but he's dead while he's important. So Joshua is now the leader. He is the leader, and he's leading the nation of Israel into this thing that we call the promised land. The reason we call it the promised land is because God promised that land to the people. It's a very creative way to call it. 
But he's leading them in there. But in order for them to take possession of this promise that God is giving them, there are some things that they are going to have to do. And some of those things are they're going to have to remove the people who are there. They're going to have to remove some things that are there in the promised land that are against God. The first city that they, they are coming into contact with, the first thing they have to remove is the city of Jericho. Um, Jericho is not... It's not what you would call a massive city, but it's a very important city. It's a strong city, and it's fortified with very large, very tall walls on the outside. So it circles the city. Not everybody lives in it. People live all on the outside of it because they were a predominantly uh, uh, farming-driven culture. Uh, Maybe they had some goats. I'm not sure. Maybe alpacas. But they had whatever animal they had out there, and they raised it. But because they knew the nation of Israel was coming, they had heard about them and their God, they ran inside. All the people came in and they shut up the gates. And typically, how they would build uh, the gates within these walls, there would be multiple layers of gates. You'd have one, two, three, typically. That way, if anybody tried to break in, if they broke through the first wall, you would have time to do something before they got through the other two. Um, A lot of times what they would do is they would boil grease or oil and they would dump it over on top of the people trying to break in the wall. I don't know if you've had hot grease on you, but you're probably going to stop doing what you're doing if you get grease dumped on you. Um, But that's that's why everybody's in the city. That's how the walls would operate. Um, So God's great plan to Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel, is not like, I want you to make a rope and throw it over the top and pull your way up. He says... I want you to walk around it in a line once a day for six days. I want the, your mighty men, your warriors, I want them to walk in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Then I want seven priests to hold the Ark of the Covenant. And then I want some guys blowing on a ram horn the whole time because I just want to annoy everybody. And then we're going to put some more warriors behind them. You know what the warriors are going to do? Nothing. They're just going to walk. And they walk around the city once a day. And then they just go hang out. They play like doodle jump over in the corner or something. Probably petting the people's alpacas that are still sitting out there. So that's where we are. That was a lot of words. There's a lot of repetition because the writer of this does not want us to miss the importance of what's going on. Because it seems like a very dumb plan. It seems like a boring plan that makes absolutely no sense. Let's pick up in verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did so for six days. This is just what they do. They don't do anything else. They get up, and they do the same boring thing. They listen to that same annoying horn. Hey, have you ever blew up like a float in the summer? You know how lightheaded you get? I bet these dudes were super lightheaded blowing that ram's horn the whole time, like kind of falling over. Somebody's got to catch them. Um, That's just what I imagine in my head, but I have a different imagination than most people. Let's continue. But on the seventh day, this is where some action's taking place. On the seventh day, they rose early. Glad I wasn't there. 
at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner, but they did it seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. You're going to need to hold on to that. It's devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid in the messengers whom we sent. But you keep for yourselves, but you keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They, they shall go into the treasury for the Lord. What, the, the warning he gives there, like, it is so quiet. When they stop blowing the ram's horn, everybody's so quiet that he's saying, look, I'm about to tell you to shout. You're going to shout. This wall's going to come tumbling down, and we're going to go in, and everything is devoted for destruction to the Lord. What that means is they are going to go in, and they are going to destroy everything. If it's a person, it's getting destroyed. A man, woman, child, ox, Dogs, cats, everything, beta fish, dying. But then there's this strange warning. He says, do not take anything for yourself. We're not going to spend time on that tonight. But what it is, is if we keep reading in Joshua, we'll see that some moron does keep some stuff from themselves. And it brings chaos onto the camp. And there's quite a price to pay. But we'll get into that later. And then it goes to say, so the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. Hallelujah. And soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight from before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. What that means is everything died. Every person and living thing inside the city was killed. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house, here she is again, and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her, as you swore, remember, there is a promise here, as you swore to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. They killed everybody. And then they set the thing on fire. So the walls are gone. The people are gone. All the structure is gone. It no longer lasts except for some reason they went in and got out a lady who was a prostitute and her family. And brought them onto the, into the outside of the city so that they could destroy the inside of the city. We'll keep going. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she had lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. At the cost of the firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. God, thank you for your word. God, change us with it now. Let us see your truths in these scriptures. 
And God, let us see where we stand before you and let us hold on to the promise that you offer us to deliver us from destruction because of the cross of Jesus. God, we believe you're still the God who saves, so please do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've broken this up into four sections, four things that I feel are important for us to talk about because they're a little bit strange, but also we need to know what's going on so we can apply that to our lives. The first thing we need to talk about is the wall because this city has a wall. Laurel has no wall. Powers has no wall. Cleo has no wall. America doesn't have a wall. There are no walls. Nobody has this. Now, some people do have like those high deer fences so they can't get out. We're not counting that. I'm just saying. But the reason the wall is so important is because it shows God's faithfulness to his people about him keeping his promises. Because, see, it, it seems like a hopeless situation. Because I already told you, the nation of Israel, they cross the Jordan. They are going to take hold of the promised land that God gave them. But Jericho stands in their way. Now, see, there was different ways they could have went about this. When they first saw the wall, the first thing that comes to their head is the type of warfare that we're going to have to do is this thing called a siege. And what you would do is you would let people, they would run into their fortified city and they would lock the gates. And what you would do is you would just sit outside and wait for them to die. Because eventually they're going to run out of food. Eventually they're going to run out of water. And they're either going to have to surrender or they're going to sit in there until they die. And most scholars believe that at the time of the year that it was, the kind of society uh, that Jericho had, that they could have la- they had enough food stored up inside to feed their city for about a year to two years. So God's nation of Israel could have just waited for them on the outside for one to two years, but that is not what God intended. He said, we need to have this victory now, but this is how you're going to do it. And he lays out this wild battle plan. That seems to make no sense. We've got warriors who aren't waging war. They're just walking in front of some horns and behind some horns. We got some guys who aren't musicians playing music that may have not sounded too great. They're just walking in a circle. What is the point? But the reason that Jericho had to be taken is not only, it's not just because it was the first thing that stood before them. But if they would have just went around Jericho, let's say they just skipped it and they started fighting the other battles that they had to fight because they didn't feel like dealing with Jericho yet, then while they're fighting somebody else, Jericho's armies could have came up behind them and overtaken them. And see, the issue is, is there are things in your life that you are either afraid to deal with or you don't want to deal with yet. That if you do not deal with it, that they are going to overtake you later in life while you're dealing with other things. I'm going to be honest with you, dudes in here. There's things that you watch on your handheld device or your computer that you say, bro, when I get married, I'm not going to have to. But I'm going to be honest with you. If you do not handle it now, it is going to tear your family apart later in life. It is a battle that you have to fight now because you may think it's gone away. But it's going to suffocate you later in life. There's things that you don't want to deal with either because it's too big of an issue or you're too afraid to deal with it. 
that has to be the first battle that you fight. Like, I believe that there are some young, some young pastors in this room. I believe there's young worship leaders, dentists, news people, physical therapists. Whatever it is you do, I believe that you're going to take the gospel with you and change the world. But the problem is, are there are things in your life that you need to handle now or you're going to get down the road and you're going to be 30 and these things are going to creep up on you from your past and overtake you because you were unwilling to do what was necessary to deal with them now. Whether it's a toxic relationship, whether it's insecurity issues, issues with depression, whether it's unbelief, whatever it is, there's something that you need to deal with and maybe you do not know how. I can assure you that God will give you the answer, but it may not be the answer that you are looking for. You may have to walk around the wall once a day for six days doing something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And some of you may have to ask for some help. You got things you're struggling with. Guess what? You're probably not going to be able to overcome them on your own, but you can ask somebody to walk with you through it. You can ask me. You can ask one of your breakout group leaders. You can ask a friend. But there are struggles that we are not going to be able to overcome on our own. And we have to have somebody to help us through. But can you imagine? Like, they had to have felt stupid every now and then, walking around in a circle, blowing on a ram horn. I don't know if that's the sound it makes, but I hope it is. Like, you're like, man, I feel stupid. I don't even know if we're all playing the same note right now. I have a sword, not using it, just walking. But it's in those moments of doing the things sometimes that don't make much sense that God is preparing us to do what it is that we need to do. And can you imagine like the ridicule that may have been coming from the people on the other side of the wall? Because you know eventually they probably like climbed up there and looked over and was like, what are these idiots doing? And then started yelling at them, your ram horn's terrible. I like your sword. Maybe you should learn how to use it. He'll never climb up this wall. That's what I would say. <laughs> but they kept doing what God had called them to do, no matter the ridicule that someone else placed onto them. And because of that, they were able to take part in a glorious miracle that we're still talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. And I can tell you, a heads up, the re like, they don't have like the brass trumpet that we have now or whatever it's made out of. The reason that God told them to ring, to blow on the ram's horn, because in their culture... When a ram horn was blown, it was to announce the kingdom of God was here. And what he was doing is he said, you are going to let everybody know that I'm about to light this place up because I have arrived in the promised land. I am with you. So what they thought may have been the stupid sound of a ram horn was God triumphantly saying, I'm about to crush you. He was giving a warning sign because, see, this is the other thing. In their culture, if they would drop the gate of the city and ask for mercy, mercy could be given. But they kept the gate shut with the warning sound of God saying, I'm coming to crush you because they were prideful and felt that their walls could hold up. 
John Calvin said, the walls did not fall through the shouts of men or to the sound of trumpets, but because the people believed that the Lord would do what he had promised. That the Lord would do what he had promised. That is what salvation is. It's not this mystical prayer that you say. It is not your good works. It's not that you come to church. It's not that you raise your hand in the bridges. It's not that you're on the FCA lead team. But it's that you believe that God will do what he promised to do with Jesus on the cross. And that you cry out to him to save you and you believe it. That is the depth of salvation. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Like these people walking in the line, they knew that them walking in the line was not what was going to deliver them, but it was God's faithfulness showing up was what was going to tear the walls down. Number two, first we have the wall. Number two, we have the wrath. Because I don't know if you read those verses, but it said that every man, woman, child, oxen, something, and donkey was killed. Even for the most devout believer, if you walk into the city and there's just people laying there dead and blood is pouring everywhere, that's kind of hard to handle. God, I know you're good and I know you're just, but why did we just kill these kids? There's things that is going to happen in your life that's not going to make any sense whatsoever. Bad things are going to happen to you. People are going to hurt you. They're going to borderline destroy your life. There's going to be moments where you feel like God is not there. There's some things that are going to happen in your life. I have no idea why they do. Why did my mom have to die the way she did? I have no idea. Why do little kids get sold into slavery? I don't know. But what I do know is that as hard as it is, all things that happen either come from God's hand or pass through it. He allows them to happen because in some way he is going to be glorified. These people, these women, these children, they had to die because they were against God and there was no desire for mercy to be given because they did not let the gates down. So God's wrath had to be poured out. Everybody is dead, but for some reason, this woman who is a prostitute and her family is still alive. And they're alive because of a promise that was made in Joshua chapter 2, which we're going to get to in a minute. But see, the thing is, is oftentimes we like to think that we're the people walking around the outside of the wall. But really, we're the people inside of Jericho, too prideful to let the gate down so that Jesus can come into our hearts, saying, no, we can take care of ourselves. We can fend for ourselves. We know what is best for us. We do not need you. And God throws all these warning signs around us with the blow of the ram's horn and people walking around. We're like, no, I'm good. Inside my city walls, I am good. But one day, he is going to bring the walls down. 
and his wrath is going to come. And you are either going to be like the prostitute Rahab or you're going to be like everybody who's laying there dead and bloody. Because, see, she was saved by a promise in Joshua chapter 2. Real quick, what happened is Joshua sent spies into Jericho. And they went to Rahab's place. You may have been like, oh, they went there to do bad things. But typically when a traveler would come in, no one's going to think anything different if they went into uh, someone like Rahab's house. And what happens is the king of Jericho shows up and says, where are these spies? I'm going to kill them. But Rahab hid them on the roof under some straw. And Rahab may have made some poor, poor, poor decisions in her life. But it was in that moment that she chose to serve the God of Israel, even though the whole city around her chose to deny him. And they said, look, when we come to destroy this city, because they told her, we are coming to take this. God is going to be with us. He said, you lock you and your family up in this room and you throw out a scarlet cord from your window and we will pass over this room, but we will kill everybody else. Her fate was sealed in a promise by a promise. And it's the same thing with us because Romans 10 says, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. God has promised to save us through the cross of Jesus. We may not have a scarlet cord that we throw out our window, but if we are covered in the blood of Jesus, then he passes on by us, but he will destroy everything that's against him. So are you saved by the promise of Jesus? Or are you walled up in your little city saying, no, I'm good. I'm good. So number one, we have the wall. Number two, we have got the wrath. Number three, we have the woman. Who is this woman? I told you what she did. But what makes her so important, if you will remember January the 3rd of this year, I think it was the 3rd, first Wednesday of January. Matthew chapter 1, we looked at the lineage of Jesus. And about halfway down, there is this lady named, there is the prostitute named Rahab that shows up. So Jesus' great, 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 super great grandma was just a lady who had made some bad decisions, but in a moment she chose to serve the God who saves. I don't care the decisions you've made in your life. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago, you are not defined by your past. But you will be defined by who you choose to say Jesus is. Is he just somebody you're going to casually encounter when you come to church? Or is he the Lord of everything, what we're about to see Joshua did? Are you going to choose, yes, God, I believe that I am saved by the promise of Jesus on the cross? Because that's what she did. Number four, we got to get through this. One, we had the wall. Two, we had the wrath. Three, we had the woman. And number four, the war. It's often called the Battle of Jericho. There was no battle at Jericho. There was just a slaughter. Because the people of Israel walked in. There's like, it's no fight. Like when me and Campbell are finally going to go at it. That's right, Campbell. It's just going, Campbell's gone. You don't want a man with a mustache to do that to you. Holler at your boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll show you how to grow one. You gotta drink black coffee. But there was no battle. The battle was not won when the walls fell. The battle was not won when the people walked in a straight line. The battle was not won when they blew on the ram's horn. The battle was not won when they started shouting. But the battle was won in the chapter before 6. If we look at the last few verses of chapter 5, we are going to see where this battle was won. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 says this. When Joshua was by Jericho, see, Joshua goes out by himself because he knows that I, we have to take this city. And he sees its walls. He's a man of war. He's been doing this for years. I love the book of Joshua. One day we're going to go through it. Joshua kills everybody. He is awesome. He doesn't kill them like in a malicious way. He killed them the way the Lord told him to. Trust me. We'll get into it later. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes up and looked. Because you know when he saw those walls, he just put his head down. He's like, I don't know what we're going to do here. But he picks up his his head and he looks. And behold, a man was standing before him. With his drawn sword in his hand. Big dude. I know you're thinking like you. What way bigger than me. With his sword drawn. See the cool thing about Joshua. Is Joshua does not run. What Joshua does. Joshua goes to him. Dude has the sword out. Joshua walks up to him. This is how bad he is. And he says, are you for us or are you for our adversary? Well, he's saying, are you for us or are you against us, bro? And he said, this is what the guy standing there says. He says, are you for us or against us? He says, no, which is an awesome answer. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. This is where the victory is won right here. Because the reason he says no. He says I'm neither for you or against you. I'm above you. The question is are you for or against me? Because see a lot of times we live our lives as if we are asking God. Are you for us or are you against us? Because it doesn't seem like you really care right now. God can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Will you do this for me? When the question really is not, God, are you for me or are you against me? He is asking you now, are you for me or are you against me? Because Joshua is the baddest man on the planet. One of the baddest men to ever live. And listen to what happens when he stands before this dude and he says, No, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua fell on his face. To the earth, and he worshiped and he said to them, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That's all we get of that encounter. But this battle and every battle that Joshua wins after this. Is because in the moment where he comes face to face with the commander of God's army, 
he merciful he lays down begging for mercy and says what is it that my lord has to say to a servant in that moment there is worship there is obedience there is reverence and he knows that without god he will accomplish no victories in his life he knows without god he will not receive this promise He responds with faith that leads to obedience. Have you responded to God with that kind of faith? God, I trust that the cross of Jesus is enough. And I trust that so much that no matter what it is you call me to do, I'm going to do it. Because see, just like the soldiers had a lane to walk in and the priests have a lane to walk in, we all have a lane in which we walk. And we all have a job in which we do. And at some moments it may seem pointless. We just sang a song that says, walking around these walls, I thought by now that they would fall. And then it goes on to say, God, I've seen you move the mountains and I believe I will see you do it again. Raise your, I mean, stand up if you've been saved in the past 11 months, 12 months. You can sit down. That was worth celebrating, by the way. <clears throat> because doing what I do can be very discouraging at times. Because I'm like, God, we are walking around this wall. But there's nobody getting saved. But I'm going to keep walking. And trust that you are going to come through on your promises that you are still the God who saves and you will save every student who walks in this door. That's the kind of belief that we have to have as leaders. And this past year has been the most encouraging thing. But we will not stop here. We believe that God is going to do it again. We genuinely believe as leadership that every student that comes in here is going to have a life change story because they will experience the God who saves when they're here, whether it be through song, whether it be through scripture, whether it be through preaching, whether it be through relationship, they are going to experience God and they cannot help but be changed forever. But the victory was won because they Joshua fell before the commander of God's army in faith that led to obedience. Will you have that kind of faith that's obedient to share the gospel at school no matter how awkward it could be? To invite somebody to come to church with you. Remember, we don't invite just to invite. We invite to be a part of a life change story. Everybody that just stood up, their life changed forever because somebody invited them to church. And when they got here, they experienced God some way. Are you willing to do what it takes for the walls to come down at your school, in your family, in your friend group? To do the small things, believing that God's going to come through on his promises. Or maybe you're the people inside the wall. And God's warning you, saying, hey, I want to save you. But you're going to have to let the gate down for mercy to come. We're going to break off into our groups, but before we do, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for the way you love us. God, the salvation that you bring to us through Jesus. 
God, I pray that you will be with these students, God. I pray that you will come before them just as this commander of the Lord's army does, and they will fall before you like Joshua with the faith that leads to obedience. God, allow them to see where they stand before you. God, give them the courage, the boldness, and the strength. God, to do just the things that you call them to do, no matter how small it may seem or boring or how dumb the idea may be, but God, they will be faithful to the things that you've called them to, knowing that they can be a part of a life change story if they will live in a way that glorifies you. And God, for the student who's living like these people in Jericho, God, unwilling to let the gate down to receive mercy, God, I pray that you'll break them. God, that you'll draw them to you, God. I pray that you will allow them to see the love that you extend to them through the cross of Jesus. God, I pray that you'll save the ones who are lost. God, continue to bless us. Bring us more people who are lost. God, we believe that you'll save them. God, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.